Welcome to another episode of Power of the Mind, the podcast where we give you simple tools to help you understand yourself and other people. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the shadow, the dark side of the human psyche. We'll explain what the shadow is and why it can be of great value to learn about it and to own it so it doesn't own you. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cast 11 with Talking Glass Media. I'm Alicia and I've got Greg Struby here today for Power of the Mind. Hello. We've got new microphones today. You guys can't see us, but we're doing an all audio podcast today, which is, I mean, kind of usually the way the podcasts are done, but we are joined today with a couple uh, guests. So uh, it's a little easier just to do audio. So how are you doing, Greg? I'm doing awesome. Today we've got Christina Abbey here. She is our assistant editor and... I like to call it like hobby writer type. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And hello. Hello. And we've got Marilee Mills. She's our doer of all things, media manager, and um, getting ready to have a couple babies. Yes. Twins. Quite large. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, today it's uh, Welcome to the Dark Side, presented Uh, by Grounded Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. So, let's get dark. Well, we're going to talk about the shadow today. The shadow. Yeah. Just a really interesting concept. It's a Jungian concept. Okay, so back in the day, there were these uh, these guys. One guy's name was Siggy, Sigmund Freud. Most people have heard of Siggy, and uh, he's best known for his theory about the Oedipal complex, which I think was uh, not particularly popular then and certainly isn't particularly popular now. But it is um, kind of what his, his hallmark was, his calling card was, and... Most of, of psychology has moved on from Freudian stuff, although the neo-Freudian, the new Freudian stuff, is still um, still shows up in a lot of different forms of what they call depth psychology. Depth psychology is different than um, what is sort of more commonly practiced now. Now we do evidence-based psychology, which is interesting some of the time, but but tends to strip away a lot of the human factor in providing care, right? So if you do evidence-based stuff, what that means is it's scientifically provable, and that means you have to do kind of the same stuff from clinician to clinician, and um, you you lose a lot of the human touch with it. So evidence-based material, I think, has a lot to it, but it's the depth psychology stuff is really fun. Anyway, Siggy gets into an argument with his buddy, uh, Carl Gustav Jung, because Jung comes up with the idea, well, all kinds of stuff, actually. Jung eventually really, really broke away from Freud and became obsessed with spirituality. So that was his jam. One of the things that Jung felt like he uncovered as he journeyed into his own unconscious, he had four or five years where he was just uh, spending a lot of time journaling in, in ways that were very particular to him and digging into his own unconscious, and he found this thing he called the shadow. And the shadow is like the dumpster fire of the psyche. So all the stuff that you wish wasn't true about you, all the things you kind of wish you could do, but you don't wish you you don't want to know that about yourself, that all ends up in the shadow. So the bad guy in the movie is the shadow within all of us, most of us at least. That's what Jung would say. All of us have a shadow. The bad guy in the horror movie is also the shadow. And uh, all human beings have that. And if we're going to be acculturated appropriately, if we're going to not bite our friends and grade school and, and all that stuff, or, or you know, adulthood, true. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are people who have challenges with that stuff too. We have to take all those um, instincts and inspirations and put them someplace, and they wind up in the shadow. So 
that's the thing we were going to talk about today. We had a great conversation offline, so I said, you guys, we got to talk Stop. about this online and record it. Stop. Rearrange mics. Add some people in here. So Boom. Let's do it. Yeah. So cool. how do you want to get started with this? Yeah, my first, I don't know. My first question <laughs> goes to, so we all have shadows, right? So Young would say we do. What Most keeps... of us would prefer not to think we have a shadow. Right. We all think that we're good people. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. People. Good, good people. I get a kick out of it when a clinician tells me they're a good person or a client tells me they're a good person. <laughs> Trust say, me. Yeah. You don't know yourself very well, actually. There's a darkness. Everybody has a bit of darkness. Most of us have a lot of darkness. If you want to find out if you're really a good person, go without food for about three days hmm. and uh, figure out what you'll do for food, if not for you, for your family. And you'll find out uh, some of the some of the stuff. You're... And that's not even the shadow. The shadow actually is the part of us that enjoys being naughty and gets a kick out of hurting other people. Is the shadow a little bit of, um, you know, you pass a car accident and it's that, that sick fascination of what happened or am I going to see something? Oh, man, for sure. Yeah, like the you, you want to look away, but you can't. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly that. So if I don't want to look, that means I'm pure of heart. Oh, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, totally. You can pick up the hammer. Yeah. You should be fine. Perfect, You're like an angelic perfect. Disney princess. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like I don't want to see it. Like, it's my kids will, <laughs> oh, mom, do you hear what happened? I don't want, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it at all. So I'm, I'm pure of heart. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. That's perfect. great. Or I've just tapped into my shadow so much that. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it too. Your shadow is just your normal. Yeah, it's just me. Yeah. So what I found fascinating is what Mary Lee was saying too about, you know, listening or watching like murder shows. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was pretty True crime, podcast, documentary, any format, photos of real life crime scenes. I right. can do. And it's a huge thing right now. It's almost trendy. True crime. Did you guys see mm -hmm. the, the Hulu show with Steve Martin on it? No. Oh my gosh, it <laughs> is delightful. About that. I need to it see is that. so good. What is it? It is called? so funny. Selena uh, Gomez. It's called The Only Murders in the Building, and it is okay. hysterically funny and really, mm -hmm. and it's a true crime. It doesn't quite satirize a true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the right way of putting it, but it is just, just so well done. Okay. But yeah, it gets, kind of gets I'll into that world and the, yeah. points out how big that sort of it's huge niche in the, the whole podcasting. industry. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. But then. To Alicia's point, I can't watch horror movies. I cannot hear about paranormal. I can't do ghosts. I can't do any of that. But someone getting murdered, fine. Yeah, and so a Jungian analyst would say that you have you have uncovered, you know, maybe connected with a certain part of the shadow where you can really sort of mm -hmm. allow yourself to enjoy the the true reality the real of someone else's of yeah. being murdered in a grisly awful fashion right yeah and and there can be a lot of reasons for that you know one mm -hmm. of them would be um this sort of a social it's socially okay right it's socially allowed and that's actually a horror movie horror i think i can't remember what the statistic is exactly i think horror movies have the most cartoons make the most per movie cartoons are the highest rated g movies make more per movie than, than most movies. But I think if you were to take all of the movie industry and look at the money it makes in a year, I think horror owns like a really sizable portion of it, like 30 or 40%. And it's a, a socially allowed way for people to kind of get in touch with that shadow, that dark side of themselves. Like, okay. oh, I'm going to go to a horror movie and get mm -hmm. scared. And what they don't necessarily own, but is usually there is I'm going to actually kind of enjoy the process of this tragedy unfolding in front of me, this horrible, mm -hmm. awful thing unfolding in front the of me. The adrenaline you kind of get from jump scares. Yeah. It all yeah. feeds into it. 
the whole thing. And I like that Geico commercial when you know, they, they come out and they say, oh my gosh, what should we do? Should we get into those that running car, that unlocked running car? No, the guy let's says, go into the shed. Let's go to the shed with all those chainsaws <laughs> and power tools. Yeah, Let's run over there, right? Like that's such an archetypal mm-hmm. horror movie thing, right? And and that's part yeah. of a, any good tragedy. They always have to have that. You saw it in Breaking Bad too, the, the cultural fascination with Breaking Bad and the mm-hmm. idea of it being really a pretty uh, tour de force as a TV show. And part of it is consistently he has chances to go back. Mm-hmm. Consistently, and you you sit there and think, "Come on, man, do don't do right it. Thing. Yeah, don't do it. Don't and do he it." Does it? But he does it anyway. And, and you're kind of rooting for that. But then you're kind of like, "Oh, he did it. He did it. Let's go." Right? I want him to do it, but then I don't. And that's really um, that's the interesting thing when you really start mm-hmm. to understand the psyche is you you also recognize that within the shadow is the opposite of almost everything we want. You know, so there are a lot of different spaces that it comes out. But you um, want it a little. Like oh, yeah. Christina said, you want to look at that car crash a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it's the opposite of what you want to happen, but you want to f- look at it. And so there's a whole idea with psychology and counseling. Like sometimes what I'm doing with a client or what a client is doing is they're trying not to get better. I'll tell people, I say, the goal isn't to get better. You can't, that won't work. The goal is to get wholer, right? Is to integrate the parts of yourself that you wish weren't there and to acknowledge them and to accept them and to deal with them as they uh, as is appropriate and necessary, yeah, because what you ignore owns you. It's, it squeaks out the side. What you don't own owns you. And you'll see that in the culture. You'll see whole segments of the culture that don't own their shadow, and it all comes out. It comes out in horrible, awful ways culturally. Mm-hmm. You know, the Germans in the 30s are probably a good example <laughs> of people. You know, as a culture, right? It became a thing where where a whole group of people didn't own their shadow and they slowly became more and more sort of vehement and dangerous until, you know, you agreed with them or you died. But the whole culture became corrupt over the course of that 10 to 15 year period prior to uh, the the war beginning. You mm-hmm. saw the entire group of people just kind of jumping on board. And you see that also, we've talked on this show before about the impact of the news media and how it works and it it loves tapping into that stuff you know so what would be the difference of i would rather read a good like stephen king book than watch the movie because Mm -hmm. in my mind it's like i can imagine things better than anything that they can reenact oh yeah my my brain makes a better movie for sure and stephen king describes it better Mm -hmm. he does Better than what, and so is that tapping into the the shadow a little bit? Because I can imagine that part, or you know, yeah, totally. That. I mean, both yeah. sides are really a movie or a book. You know, again, what is our fascination with reading this kind of material, this kind of macabre yeah. material? And it just is like wow. And the other idea, of course, is that we watch movies and TV shows and things like that so we can learn. That's the one one theory. Underneath it is so how like how to hide a body, right? Yeah, how to hide a body. What do I do if there's big trouble and I need to, mm-hmm. you know, go be the gladiator or, or whatever it is? You know, we we want to figure out how to master our our domain somehow, and we we believe movies do that. They teach us. We're most interested in movies that teach us something about ourselves. Is the theory anyway? And I think there's some practical reality to it. You know, so what do I do? And but but the horror movie doesn't really go with that, does it? 
because most horror movies mm-hmm. are tragedies in the literary sense. Well, and the bad guy always loses, right? Like they well, always some catch, horror movies, usually, they catch the yeah. bad guy, but sometimes they don't die in the end. Michael Myers, there's another one coming out. I'm another Halloween movie. Silence of the Lambs. Sure. Oh, no, no, no. That Ooh, one scared he the just, heck out of me. He's hanging out in a tropical mm-hmm. island. Good for him. He just yeah. sticks to it. Huh? Is mm-hmm. it Anthony Hopkins again? Or yeah. No? Gosh, he's got to be like 80. Yeah. Oh, good crazy. for him. It's probably fun to keep playing that part. And he does a great job. He does do a great job. Yeah. Maybe he'll be like that one day. You know, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Um, I remember reading an article after, was it Heath Ledger who played the Joker and mm-hmm. died, right? Mm-hmm. After Heath Ledger died, I read an article and they said that Jack Nicholson called him and said, hey man, be careful with this part. Because Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson had played the Joker mm-hmm. before Heath Ledger did. He said, it'll, it'll tap into a part of you that like you can't, you can't put back in the box once it's out. Wow. You know? Well, look at Joaquin Phoenix did the mm-hmm. same type of role. With the where Joker. He, yeah, mm-hmm. where it was mm-hmm. just watching him and they said so much of what he was doing was Mm ad-libbed and like the one part where he was on the stairs and dancing Mm -hmm. they said that was all ad-libbed of him and it was just he that to me is the ultimate tapping into that shadow Mm -hmm. and letting that overtake you and showing that part to the world a little bit so yeah so interesting so it's like the artistic side of tapping into the shadow which you know in writing um, yeah i do that sometimes um I participate in this thing every year um, where I try to write a short novel every November. And oh, cool! Part of it. How long is, you been doing that? Uh, since 2013. Oh, wow, that's really nice. You're an author. You like writing? I like to write. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases, uh, quotes about writing is, uh, "If you write, if you if you're really a writer, you write because you have to, not because you want to." Right. I really resonate with that. Like it comes whether you want it to or not. Like you don't. You mm-hmm. sort of like almost obligated to write like it just comes out of you no matter what oh well yeah i mean like with writing um i've learned if you wait for the ideal time or when you're in the mood it's never gonna happen Uh, you're never gonna be in the mood to sit down and write you just do it so when the muse strikes you you go at it huh um the muse will strike often while i'm already going at it so something will happen a character will say something or a scene will happen and it's like i know what i want to happen (sighs) But, um, but yeah, as far as like the shadow side kind of going into that is um, part of this November thing that I do. Um, we always try to incorporate every author that participates in this thing annually. Um, yeah. They try to incorporate something called the traveling shovel of death. Oh. <laughs> into their story. And most of my stories, it's, you know, a gardener uprooting uh, a dead plant or whatever. It's kind of used fairly lightly. But there was one time where we did a word sprint, which is you set a timer and the delete key does not exist during that period of time and you just write. And we had to incorporate the traveling shovel of death during this word sprint. And I went dark. Yeah. I went into a place in my imagination that I didn't think existed in within me. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. No, and it's... when I finished that sprint, I was like, where did this come from? It scared me a little bit. Right. I did not know I possessed that side. Yeah, that's the that's a perfect example of the shadow side and kind of it coming out in the work, right? And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it seems like it authors itself. It'll just kind of pour right out of you. So when you see something like that, you can kind of understand a little bit more kind of circling back to Stephen King as to how he is able to tap into such darkness in his work. Well, did you see after you were able to do that that it helped you write in the... Because you were saying like, the old or before you would do like overturning the dead bush or something. Mm-hmm. 
what has that opened up a new side of your writing or my villains can be a little darker than they used to be so they're a little more uh there there's more depth to them than there was before rather than a surface villain there's there's more drive behind that why they want to defeat the good guys yeah Hmm. so in one of the stories that i've been working on off and on for years. I don't know that I'm going to de- defeat my villain or not, or if it's not going to be a happy ever after. I haven't decided. Ooh, maybe it could be a tragedy. Possibly. My characters haven't revealed that part of their story yet. Huh. Hmm. So it comes to you, like the characters choose their story and you get to... In a way, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that about good writing, that it just sort of comes. For some people, it just comes out. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. But that's a perfect example of the shadow side of things. When a person taps into that part, a lot of times they feel... Uh, more stable and strong and sort of solid in themselves. A lot of times if I have folks who have some dissociation attached to them and they are able or willing to jump into the shadow work, they'll find that they are much more able and willing to inhabit their body. In part, it's be- in those cases, a lot of times they have pent up rage and hatred that's relatively justifiable isn't exactly the right word, but biologically understandable is probably a good way of putting it, right? So if someone has mistreated you or, uh, you know, uh, abused you, there's a part of your body that says, kill him, right? Pretty simple. There's a part of the brain that says, kill that guy, kill that gal. There's another part of the brain that says, that's a bad idea. You know, I'm nine, for example. I'm a nine-year-old. Can't kill that guy. A, nobody will feed me. B, he's bigger and stronger and faster and meaner. So we cut that off from ourselves at the freeze response, just turns it off, but it stays there. And so when I tap into that shadow side of things, and and a lot of it stays there too. It doesn't have to be somebody who's being abusive. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. There's a part of me, you know, a savage part of me that wants for their immediate and unpleasant demise, right? That's just nature uh, at work. Some people... Uh, we'll let that up, and it has some pretty unpleasant consequences if I act on it. And that's why we have jails, right? Jails and prisons are for people who can't um, appropriately inhibit their shadow. So part of that, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, go um, for it. A lot of times when we have that reaction, it's um, in response to something negative that has happened and therefore kind of threatened us. Is that part of like survival instinct? Totally. It's exactly the survival instinct. The fight-flight system is a survival uh, instinct, and aggression is a a form of that, is a a function of that, the fight-flight system, right? So when I am working with clients, I have a lot of clients, I can think of one or two right now, who really are not nearly aggressive enough, right? They're too passive in the world, and so the world acts upon them. People, um, they say yes when they want to say no, and they struggle to own kind of who they are and how they are in this world. And as a result, people walk on them, right? You, there's an old saying in psychology that says, you train people to treat you the way they treat you. So if I'm in a situation where things are bad, there's a good chance that I trained my environment to do that to me. Now, there are some exceptions to that rule. There are situations where um, that won't apply. But an awful lot of the time, my own experience of things and my desire to please people, for example, will put me into a situation where I am being mistreated. And the the part of the work that we do is to tap into the anger situation there, to tap into some of the pieces that are not appropriately put into the shadow. And it's often very scary for the clients. They say, oh my gosh, all this anger and rage in here, that's bad. 
That's the child within says, oh, this is bad. This is bad. I don't want to do this. I'll get in trouble. No, actually, actually, you're getting walked on all the time and you're angry and resentful and you're pissed off and you're, you know, fill in the blank, smoking too much, eating too much, drinking too much, running around on your marriage, you know, using drugs. Well, guess what? If you, you know, if using drugs is your outlet and you're nice and accommodating when you're sober, well, you may have to make some changes, right? I can't remember why I started talking about this now. Oh. <laughs> well, we were talking the about the, what were we talking about? It was like the, why people will tap into that dark side or why it, why it oh, comes yeah. out. So yeah, so that's the- Getting cut off on the highway. Get, or, getting that dark side incorporated to a point where I can access it, not necessarily act on it, but be aware of it and be aware of how angry I am. That is the survival instinct and the fight and the flight instinct. And when I can connect to that without deciding it's bad, but rather just feel it, then I can take action that's probably appropriate for me. Now, anytime somebody has a resentment, I have people who come to me in addiction, everybody has resentments. That's like the hallmark of addiction. And I say, there's one of two things is happening if you are pissed off, if you're resentful about something, if you're walking around bitter and frustrated, either you have a problem and you're being taken advantage of and you're allowing it to happen and you have to stand up or, um, you know, either or somebody is, uh, you have unrealistic expectations of the world around you. One of those two things, okay? It could be that you think life should be poly, I have Pollyanna and easygoing. I have a guy right now who's been married for a, about a year and a half and is really surprised that marriage is hard, <laughs> which I was too. I remember that experience of being like, wait a minute, this person isn't just going to do what I want her to do all the time? It's going to solve all your problems if you get married. Totally. Have Watch it too, every movie <laughs> ever made. Gosh Every darn freaking, <laughs> seriously, tell you what. Gosh darn. This, this wasn't like this in the movies at all. Mm -hmm. it was very, well, uh, I had some very immature ideas about how relationships worked. And I supposedly, I may still even have some of these ideas. I'm not seeing that myself, but I, I've been given the feedback on occasion <laughs> that uh, I, I do in fact still have some mistaken beliefs about how relationships and marriages should work. Yeah, my husband it. asked me why I didn't check his pockets before I put his laundry <laughs> in the washing machine. Like, <laughs> like, well, I wasn't wearing them, so I don't, I don't understand why that was, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the, the thing to look into whenever I have a resentment is, um, am, I, am I being mistreated? And if I'm being mistreated, it usually has a lot to do with this shadow piece and with choosing not to stand up and choosing not to say no and I can't say no because I have guilt and shame and fear and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. And the challenge, of course, with those folks is when they do say no the first couple of times, it's ugly. <laughs> it is, and, and it's because there's you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of resentment, rage, bitterness, and anger underneath their no. And there's a program on top of it that says you're bad if you say no and don't do what you're supposed to do. So that's a really vital part of the process of recovery for a lot of addicts and just a living for a lot of other people. I notice, I mean, if you turn on the TV or, you know, pop up in a news channel or anything, it's always, I mean, unfortunately, the school shootings, they oh, happen Lord, yeah. more and more frequent and you never hear, gosh, he was the happiest guy. He, you know, everybody liked oh, him. Yeah. It was always the, you know, it always has been from the start that I can remember a loner. People didn't like him. You know, they were picked on or, you know, the bully. weird. Chose. Yeah. And you're just, yeah. and I'm wondering that not to condone it, but what pushed them to tap into that dark side? And is that, 
You yeah, know, I don't know if that's, I think that's probably a sort of a separate situation. Is I mean, that, really what you're mm -hmm. looking at there is just somebody who decides to give up on life and to take their um, anger at the world to the next level. You know, it's really, um, it can, it can, nihilism is the philosophy that nothing matters. And if we look at life, and look at the inevitability of death, the inevitability of the loss of everything and everyone that we care for, it's not actually that hard to come to that conclusion that nothing matters. And particularly if I am an outcast or excluded, then if I play too much Grand Theft Auto, I've read an interesting study that linked, and this is 10 years ago now, but linked first-person shooter video games. The prevalence of first-person shooter video games with the uh, prevalence of first-person shootings in schools. And uh, I heard it on NPR. I can't remember what happened there now um, or what that study was exactly, but it was a very memorable, very memorable thing to listen to. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. So as humans, we all have the, the dark shadow, the, as Dexter would call it, his dark passenger, maybe. <laughs> but it was... Um, Dexter's such a good example of the shadow. I think his is a Again, I don't intense. necessarily recommend uh, cutting people up and torturing them if you don't like them, even um, if they're naughty. They were bad guys. Yeah, even if they were bad. They were well, that's such a good example, though, right? So. That's, such a, that's such a good example of the culture condoning the shadow mm -hmm. stuff. Like, what can I do to make this okay? Yeah. So mm -hmm. that I so that now my audience, the audience of Dexter, can just enjoy watching these people suffer and have some pain. Yeah. Right? Well, because as a watcher, you know, somebody watched the show, you would get upset when people would, yeah, this guy is killing bad guys. I'm like, you're welcome. Like what's what's the problem? <laughs> it's a vigilante. But, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's yeah. he's doing the job that, you know, wasn't getting done or whatever. But right. so we've all got the dark shadow. What is what keeps us from tapping into that? Because there are people who tap into it. They're the people who are committing the murders. And well, it's one thing to be aware of something. It's another thing to let it own you. And actually, the absence of awareness of it is probably the most dangerous experience. Ah, the most dangerous. The absence of awareness of the shadow can be very problematic. And I will act on my shadow um, without being conscious of doing it. And you'll see it a lot in politics. And either side... Mm -hmm. Of extreme, and actually, it's not even that extreme anymore. But you see, people who the simple name of uh, an opposing political figure to their lifestyle brings up just rage, right? Just this sort of uh, almost confusing. You'll have a normal person, regular, ordinary gal or guy, and um, they just have this immediate like the fangs come out, and they'll say awful, awful, terrifying, terrible things about. A political figure or some sort of um, politicized position in the media. And it does a couple things. The media actually really trains those folks, uh, well, all of us really. The media trains us to have extreme responses to, to, um, to certain situations and people depending on their particular slant. And so that's probably the most common place you see it. So if I don't own my shadow, I won't be able to recognize that there's a part of me that wants to kill my my perceived enemy. And then you'll see the stuff you saw in Germany back in the day, right? Where we're just little by little. What do the Germans do? Constant, constant rep repetition. Jews are bad. Jews are the uh, rats. They would always dehumanize them first. Jews are rats. They're not human. 
And the propaganda continued and continued and continued, and eventually you got to a space where the entire culture was like, oh, yeah, they're not human. We'll let it go. And, and that, again, that's a consequence of not being aware that I have this peace within me, that I have this savagery within me, right? Uh, a lot of suicide is this uh, is suicide sometimes can be related to a similar process. So that's the the thing that happens. You know, owning my shadow and acting on my shadow are very different. Frankly, when somebody acts in their shadow, very rarely do they own it. Only in the case of somebody who's really sociopathic have they owned their shadow and decided that they just like to work. They just like to be there. They like to be in that space and have that. Most of the time, what'll happen is somebody you know, quote unquote, snaps, mm-hmm. hanging around. Driving down the street, somebody cuts me off in traffic, and all of a sudden, for the first time, it accesses a piece of me that I wasn't aware of. I had a client who was very abusive in his uh, relationship, unfortunately. And um, he had gone his whole life without being abusive, and then the individual he was with um, said something that was really got to him, and out it came. One of the things we work on is like, hey, man, you got to own what's underneath there. And in this case, the person you're with isn't who you're mad at. You've got yeah. a lot of anger, but it's not, it's not toward this person. You gotta stop doing what you're doing, right? So that's the, the long answer to that short question. You know, <laughs> how do we, it's, it's pretty natural to allow the shadow to, to leak out if we don't own it. So how do you own it? Well, you, first of all, becoming aware of it's pretty helpful, getting the idea that it's there Second, I can notice that I feel a sense of empowerment, empowerment when I am aware of my own rage and anger. Um, it's not particularly useful to act on it. It tends to have consequences that are unpleasant. I had a therapist I worked with once, and he told me, he said, write down the most awful story you can think of with yourself as the bad guy and do awful things as the bad guy and uh, notice the part of you that enjoys it. I didn't enjoy the assignment at all, but I did it. Uh, And there was a part of me that did enjoy it. The part of me, so I'm a hero in my family system. That's what I like to, I like to go help people and uh, obviously give them what I do, right? Like to, and so that a lot of the things that were being written were really incongruent with my sense of my personality and who I think I am. And he said, at the end of the exercise, you have to burn it. And the reason you have to burn it is because if you know you're going to burn it, parts of you will come out that you wish weren't there. And he was right. It was really, really awful material. And when I was done, wow, okay, there is a part of me that's absolutely uh, disturbingly savage. And I can own that now. And now that I own it, it doesn't own me. And I find myself becoming actually quite a bit more tolerant in my life partly tolerant of other people, but also tolerant of my dislike of them, for example. <laughs> not as driven to like everybody. Um, not as driven to pretend um, to myself, right? To lie to myself. Like, oh, I'm a good guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I like this guy. No, I don't. Not really. You know? Um, so those, those things are very, very <coughs> helpful exercises as far as owning my own shadow and becoming acquainted with, with what that is. Well, if I've learned anything, and I've learned a ton from you, is that, you know, when we were back in the day, back in, you know, just survive. Didn't name our kids until they were reached a certain six. age. or the Romans didn't name yeah. their kids until they were six. And yeah. so there has to be that peace in us, that survival instinct to do whatever you have to do to survive. Absolutely. And over time, it is 
evolved into something maybe not as dark, but well, it it's, it's got to still be there, right? It gets civilized out of us so we can be in close proximity without killing mm -hmm. each other. Yeah, because you were right. talking about like chimpanzees and yep. you know, the... Oh, yeah, when we were talking about Jane Goodall mm -hmm. and some of her stuff, right? So, yeah, Jane Goodall, and, and she discovered that the monkeys that she observed, the chimpanzees she observed, would go to war with each other and do awful, awful things. And then there would be chimps that grew up together in very close proximity and had played together as children. And she gives the example of one drinking the blood of its uh, former mate um, after a, a sort of a dispute had caused the differing chimp groups to go to war, right? Just really ugh, awful, awful imagery. And uh, everybody prior to that kind of thought war was a human invention and that nature was kind of this, chimpanzees are kind of this placid, kind of chillaxed, relaxed group of people, and they were very disturbed yeah. at the time to discover like, wow, there's something going on here. So if we look at evolutionary psychology as informative of our experience, we really do come to the conclusion that there is uh, there are parts of us that are pretty, pretty rough. Yeah, you know, one of the things that's really interesting, I do a lot of work with PTSD and trauma. When people are in really awful survival situations, not unfrequently they will do things that they didn't realize they were capable of. The most common example is a young man going to war, or a young woman now. Mm -hmm. I've never worked with a female with combat experience. I'm sure there are plenty. But a young man goes into war and uh, engages in behaviors sort of instinctively that really are pretty awful. And he has to come back and kind of look at that, see what it was. And you see that with people in crisis or hostage situations or other kinds yeah. of difficult situations. They have to deal with a piece of them that came out in that situation. I had a client one time who was abducted and eventually dispatched the person that abducted, you know, the person that abducted them. And that was uh, very challenging and it was done sort of swiftly and savagely without thought, right? The client operated on instinct and uh, remembers what happened but doesn't remember it being a volition or a choice. Mm. Really interesting. Just opportunities was there and you she, do what you have to do to survive. Boom, boom. Right? The hands flashed and it was wow. done. And she got away. But you would never do that in a quote-unquote normal situation right. ever and you exactly. could never see yourself doing that exactly and so the real out the reality that i could do it and at the time kind of enjoy it mm -hmm. and be really excited about it. or survivor's guilt too when mm. um i'm there's three of us standing next to each other and the two people to my left get shot mm -hmm. uh, my first instinct often is i'm so glad it wasn't me well, if those people who got shot are my friends or family members that's that's a hard thing to mm -hmm. contend with it's really difficult to deal with the part of me that is deeply selfish and savage if I'm not aware of it, if I'm not aware that it's there and it's just mm -hmm. kind of part of the ball game. Uh, when you know it's there, a person can then uh, deal with it. Even talking about shadow work will arouse the shadow in a certain percentage of people. <laughs> I say, what do you mean? I don't have that. You're sick. <laughs> oh, maybe I am. Give me five minutes. I'll be back. Yeah. About my shot. You think I'm sick? You don't know. You yeah. don't know the beginning of it. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know squat. Yeah. It's way more than you know. So. Well, to hear everything that you hear on a, you know, in, in your <laughs> career, I mean, it's you've seen, you've seen the worst of people. So. Yep, that's for sure. You get so. a chance to see the darkness and the light, but man, 
human beings can be pretty awful. Well, that sounds like a kind of a peachy, happy place to end a, a podcast <laughs> on the shadow. Humans are awful. Human beings can be pretty awful. <laughs> oh, not are awful. Sorry, my can be can awful. be yes for the one little word. Well, this was fun. I enjoyed ha- as fun as like tapping into your or noticing your your shadow. I liked it. Having our round table, um, I like this. I think we should do it more often. And um, just a couple of different perspectives there. And Yeah, thanks for joining us today, everybody. Thanks for having us. Yes, yes this was fun. Thanks. So Christina Abbey, Marilee Mills, Alicia Morgeau, and Greg Struby, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Power of the Mind with Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. You guys have a great day. For information about mental health and addiction treatment, you can reach out to Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare online at granitemountainbhc.com. That's granitemountainbhc.com. Or give us a call at 877-338-6287. That's 877-338-6287. If you have a comment about this podcast or a question you'd like us to address in the podcast, you can check out the Contact Us page at my website, gregstruvy.com. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-R-U-V as in Victor, E as in Edward, dot com. This has been a Cast 11 production brought to you by Granite Mountain Behavioral Healthcare. This episode was produced by Austin Morrison. Follow Cast 11 on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Talking Glass Media.